Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Yeah. I know there's a there's kind of a sad true story attached to that video. So on all of my social media accounts, you know, on the blogs and the Twitter and the Kindle and all the stuff I do, I was asked to play that video. And so the bigger context is, you know, let's play that video during this series while we study First Corinthians, a church whose pastors are kind of fighting over who's the most popular. And since they were asking me to do this, I was thinking wouldn't I be popular if I played that video? So I, I hope I received your approval from doing that because I want your approval. It's called approval addiction. That's what we're talking about today, honestly, is approval addiction. It's this uh, sense of feeling like you're bound by other people's perception of you. It's, it's uh, feeling as though you're performing for other people. It is a disease to please. And it is, all of, it is all around us. Jesus talks about it. it, it, it <clears throat> What's fascinating is the pride in us has the ability to regularly take good things and, and corrupt and contaminate them. And so when Jesus is teaching, even in his great Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's, he addresses this issue about taking good things and, and corrupting them through pride. You're, you're giving and you're fasting. <clears throat> and you're praying, why do you have to keep ruining that? And we do that too. We, we sprinkle it with pride so that we can get some feedback from it, whether it's our, our grades or work or maybe, uh, you know, our, our physical bodies, our families. These are all good things. You know, it's good to have a good family. Can you just leave that alone? No, we cannot leave that alone. We need to win other people's approval with our success. If any kind that we have or we, or we feel bad about ourselves, it's all about feeding our ego. That's, that's this approval addiction thing. Whether you're winning or losing the game, the point is pride shows up in this context and it, and it ruins things that are most valuable. It ruins, it ruins relationships. It's the reason we can't admit we're doing wrong. It's the reason we can't, 
you know, show weakness. It's the reason we hold on to grudges. It, it, it destroys churches for sure. I mean, the reason churches are, are split or there's division in churches for the most part, pride. Same with families. Somebody in that place is saying, I must be honored. I will not be, uh, go unnoticed. Respect me. A band named Cheap Trick led with this. Look, the name of the band is Cheap Trick, so it's going to be a cheap trick. You know the lyrics to this song. It's the only song that you know from them. I want you to, I need you to, I'd love you to. Yeah, it's a cheap trick, and we keep going for it. St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas both said that pride was the gateway to all other sins. All, that's where it begins. It just expresses itself in different ways. If that's true, I believe it is, then humility would be the gateway to holiness. Humility would be the, the foundation for all of the virtues, and that's true. Because humility takes us back to Eden. It takes us back to where we were meant to be, the way we were designed to be. Watch. It, it, it's, the, uh, it's a fancy word for the source of the word. So humility, okay, etymology. Humility comes from the root word human. Human's root word is earth, dirt, dust. That's our origin. That's who we are. We're You've probably heard this maybe sometime in your life. Uh, from, dust you were, from dust you came, from dust you will return, that's because we are. We're dirt, we're dust. And it's pretty easy to stop there at dirt or dust and go, woe is me, I'm just dirt or dust. But we're not just any dirt. We're, not, we're a special kind of dust. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, and then Yahweh God. Formed man out of dust from the ground. That's where human comes, where human comes from, from dust uh, from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Sure, humility comes from human, human, dirt, dirt, dust. God breathed dirt. God's dust, that's who we are. And that's how we find our place in the world. We, we're able to interact with all of creation and God himself knowing this place, this being humble, understanding we're God's dirt. And, and just even that idea, right, that, that expression, that we're just dirt, but God's grace transforms us. Only God's grace can transform us out of dirt into in his image. Think of the, the delta, the change there from dirt to in his image, God's grace. That means God's gift does that. And so this thing, humility, the understanding of our origin and the power of that, we need that. We, we desperately want that. How does that happen? How can we, I, uh, I guess, grasp humility? Over the centuries, a popular way to understand humility is through this discipline that's known as uh, the audience of one. It's the discipline before the audience of one. 
I think it originated with Soren Kierkegaard, who was the father of existentialism, and he said you can live your whole life out as, there, as though your life is being lived out in front of just one spectator in some respects, right? And that one watcher is Yahweh. And you live, you make all of your decisions, you do all of your life for him. And, and you don't need to have the approval of anyone else. What's great about this value, this discipline of, of living your life in the audience of one is it acknowledges that man, human, even in a even in a pre-fallen state, seeks approval. So Kierkegaard is coming in saying, yeah, okay, I get it. You're seeking approval. It's not, it's not, that you're, it's not what you're seeking. It's where you're seeking it. And so living to the audience of one before an audience of one says, yeah, yeah, seek that approval, but from only one, and that one is the one holy God. To live your life this way is to live for the love of God and to be approved by God, to to have a confidence and a settledness in your position with God. Your security is found in God. Your identity is defined not by the culture, not by your emotions, not by whatever the trend is. Your identity is being in the image of God, being his child, being his son, his daughter. That, that's where your hope, your strength, and your peace is before the audience of one. And this causes us to have a sense of humility because it brings us back to that place. What's great about before an audience of one is it comes with a chant. I mean, it's just part of the package. It's free. It comes with this chant. And the chant goes like this. I don't care. Isn't that a great chant? I don't care. I don't care. And some of you probably had to say this to people that you love. I don't care that you don't like that I'm living for Jesus Christ. I know, I know, we grew up together. We're in the same family, but I don't care. I can't live for that approval anymore. I, I don't care that, that you think uh, I'm weak for, for following the Lord. I don't care that you think I'm stupid to be generous towards the things that God wants me to be generous towards. Don't care. I'm, li- I'm not living for your approval. I'm living for the approval of God. You, you can have the approval of God and man occasionally when there's overlap, But if you have to choose, and you will, you need to choose to serve only the Lord. And this choice doesn't just happen between, you know, outside the church and inside the church. Let me give you two examples where Paul's saying, look, I don't care about you guys in the church either. Listen to his audience of one. Uh, Here's in Galatians. He says, and now am I I trying, trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, because he was, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. These people that he doesn't care about, he says, I don't care. They're talking about people in the church of Galatia, and one of those people is Peter, an apostle. I don't care about the leadership there. I don't care. Like, I'm living my life for just one, and so I'm sticking to the revelation that he gave me as the bigger context. In 1 Corinthians, the book we're studying, we saw this, I think, two weeks ago when we looked at it. I care very little if I'm being judged by you, the Corinthian church attenders, or by any human court. Indeed, I don't, I'm not even judging myself. I don't even care what I think about something. I only care about that one person, you know, the Lord God. That's it. Humility, right? Humility. 
is from human, human, root word, earth, dirt, but God's dirt. It brings us back to that place. Audience of one comes with a great chant, doesn't it? I don't care. And I, you might have heard the figure of speech audience of one before. What's difficult sometimes is to grasp it, to visualize it, to what does it look like? And so today, actually as part of the introduction to the bigger passage we're going to look at, I want you to help, I want, I want to give you something to help you visualize what audience of one actually can show itself out. Because I want you to remember these pictures when you have fits of pride, when you have little twitches of jealousy, when you, uh, uh, approval addiction kicks in and you need another fix. Think of this little story because what it is, it's a parable. What we're going to look at today is to give you a kind of a left brain picture, right brain picture of, of a parable from a historic myth. The historic myth is King Arthur. This one is a parable of King Arthur plays baseball. It's called The Natural. It's a great movie from 1984. Let me show you how it helps us understand what it means to play to the audience of one. Introduction of characters, that's Robert Redford. And he is the icon of innocence and goodness. And he is deeply in love, true love. And he's an old farm boy, and he has been given gifts from God to play baseball. And his thrill, his dream in life is he wants to, he wants to let people see what he can do with the power of innocence in the game of baseball. Let me show the world the power of humble innocence. He eventually ends up going to New York City. By the time he gets there, he's a little bit older, and there's only one team that will even let him try out. And on that tryout, it turned into a home run derby. Oh, he made the team, and he made a fan club. He was hugely successful and immensely popular and uh, kind of started going to his head. It started changing him. The, su the success in baseball bent and torqued his soul. He got lost. And now he's hanging around the fabulous people. Let's look at me, okay? He's going hanging around the wise people of the day, the powerful people of the day the influential, noble people of the day. He's even got a supermodel girlfriend. Boys are wearing his T-shirts. He's got a baseball collector card, you bet. But remember this story? I mean, things look great for him, right? But this isn't any story. This is a King Arthur story. This is a King Arthur story. This is a parable of pride. And so in the King Arthur myth, remember, right, whatever is happening to the soul's king is happening to everything else. And so the, the physical king is, is an expression of what's happening in his spirit. What he does with his soul, he, he displays in his life. Whatever his soul reaps or, or sows, his career is going to have to harvest that. But it's not just an Arthur story. It is a King Arthur story. So everything that, that he touches is living out the consequences of his choices and his souls, and he is lost. And so he's not going to just go down. He's going to go down, and he's going to take, take the team with him, and he's going to take the fans with him. I mean, they used to love him, and now they've turned on him because, well, he's not doing well. He's in this slump because of his, the, the condition of his soul. And they only liked him anyway because they made them look good, right? And so uh, towards the end of this story here, this is the pivot of the whole story, is because of his 
condition. Here he is. He is there. Two, there are two outs, two strikes, and, and they're going to lose everything. Not just like the playoffs. They're going to lose the team. It's going to go into foreclosure. He'll lose his career. The team will no longer be in existence, all because it is death by overdose of approval addiction. This is it. He's had two swings. He's got one more pitch. It's over. Movie's done. And then, oh, and then, and then, and then, and then. While all the hecklers stay seated, over to the side, stands up, and shines his beloved, his original love. She sees him, and he, out of the corner of his eye, what his periphery can see for a little bit, his soul is able to gaze at, and it is her. And she is all that he was before he got lost. She sought him out. When he was lost, before he even knew he was lost. And he, and she found him. She found him rock bottom. Now he has found her. And when she, he sees her, the vision of his beloved, he has a new chant. I don't care. He steps out of that batter box and he, I don't care for this fame. I don't care for your approval. I don't need a supermodel girlfriend. That stupid tape in my head, it is cheap and it is a trick. And I don't care if you want me, she wants me. I don't care if you need me, she needs me. I don't care if you love me, she loves me. And in just half a second, he is absolutely made new again. His innocence is restored. It is a miraculous intervention of soul change. And now he says, let me show you why I came here originally. Let me show you the power of innocence and self-forgetfulness. Let me show you what freedom brings. Watch this. talk about that. He was there. Grace transformed him. I saw the moment it happened to him. That's what it means to live for an audience of one. Humble comes from human, comes from dirt. One more. Yahweh's dirt. Why would we want to have anyone else in that audience? 
It's just the audience that won. Humility brings us back to where we began. Where we began. It is what our souls long for. It is a song that's always playing. We just drown it out with other things. But it is a longing for Eden when we walked in the garden and we had our innocence back because somehow we got lost. And, and, and we were sought out by the Father and we were found by the Son and we were filled with righteousness by the Spirit. And where else would we go? The problem of pride is vanquished by that one that is our audience. And so, so now we meditate on that cross, whatever your icon is in your mind, right? I, sometimes, again, I brought this up before. I carry a pocket little piece of wood that I got in Bethlehem. It's shaved into a cross. That's what you visualize when things are threatening to you and you start listening to the crowd again. And you say, no, 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 I don't care. I find my value and my significance. I find my love in those stands, and there's only one that I care about. It's only there. We can focus on maybe an empty tomb. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's a reason why so many hospitals just have a, you know, have a cross in every room. Not just because, you know, because, so in those times, it's like, remember who you're performing for? Remember where you, your, your addictions can come to an end, this approval addiction? You can say, I don't care. I don't care what you think, what anybody else thinks. I will dance as though only one is watching me. That's the, that's the power and the freedom that comes that brings you to a place of humility. Right? The destination is humility, and the road to that is before an audience of one. It works, friends. It works. Some of you know this works. Do that. Dust. God's dust. You want to go deeper? Anyone, anyone want to swim a little farther down? How about all the way down to rock bottom? Here's what I want to do. All of this is an introduction. There's still so much more. All the way down to the bottom. Sure, it works. Do you want to know why it works? Because there's a truth to it, an absolute truth that living for an audience of one forces us to lead. It leads us to that place, that destination. And the destination is who God is. And only God will be worshiped. Only God will we find our boast. Only God's grace can transform us. That's our real line. That's the mo motto of our lives. We're going to look at a passage right now. We're going to look at two parts of a pa two passages, and I want you to be listening for these things that we're talking about. One, I want you to be listening for how Paul is playing to an audience of one. He does not care what his audience thinks about him. Doesn't care. That's not where he's finding his stuff. And then the second part is I want you to listen for why it is such a powerful truth that works. It's because only God can be our beloved. Only God can reside in that in that seat, okay? Now, real quick review, if you don't mind, so it'll have more punch. The, the passage is written to the, a church in Corinth, and the way the Corinthian church keeps score, okay, the way they get their love and respect, okay, is to have wisdom. Now, when they say wisdom, they mean Corinthian wisdom. To have influence, to have strength, 
Those words are going to be brought up here so that as to be mocked in some respects, so you need to know that. Second of all, that's very important to you to know is the national sport of Corinth, okay, is persuasive public speaking, okay? If you're one of those guys, you've got a baseball card that people are trading for. You're the hero of the day. That's where fans find their way, okay? Persuasive public speaking. Confident, strong, persuasive public speaking. Now, let's read the passage. Brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you guys were wise by human standards, and not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were from noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world to, and, the and the despised things so that no one will boast before him. That's the why. So that no one will boast before him. Let's keep reading. It gets better. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become, you know, for us, the wisdom of God. Much better. This is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, just as it was written in the Old Testament, he's going back to the Old Testament right there. And then he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I want you to see this again. Where Paul is saying here, he says, why do we live this way? So that. So that there's no boasting before God and that when you do boast, you boast in the Lord. Friends, there are people that think, and you may have this attitude, you know, like you're going to be tapping your toe at heaven's gate going, you know, you know, let me in. Like, do you know who's out here waiting? Do you know what I've done? Do you know the righteousness I'm bringing in? Never thought this thought, you know, God's lucky to have me on his team. Paul says, no one's going to say that. No one's going to boast before the presence of God. Do you know why? Because you're dirt. It's all you are. You take God's grace out of this, you're back to being the dust you started with. Dust you started, dust you'll end with. And then the second part is, is that when you do boast, you'll just boast in Yahweh. All of your stories will be Yahweh stories. Only grace transforms. Only God's grace transforms. That's truth. That is absolute truth. Sure, it works. It works because it's true. You're dirt. You're Yahweh's dirt. And now you've got a much better story. The audience of one forces you into this place of only God receives the glory. God gets all of glory. All that we have is from him. All that we need is from him. He, he writes in our holiness, our righteousness, our sanctification here. All the goods. It, it's an expression. It's an expression of the first commandment. I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Right. What's usually the God before him? Our ego. And it's addiction for approval. And Paul said, look, I, I'm writing this in a way so that you would live for the audience of one, so that you won't be boasting in front of God, and so that when you do boast, all you'll have to boast about is what the Lord has done in your life. There's your self-forgetfulness. You're so consumed with the beloved, the audience that you're playing for. Watch how Paul tells in his own story. He's telling his testimony about how he lives his life before an audience of one so that only God gets the glory. Those are those two points, okay? Listen for his humility that he's dirt, but he's God's dirt and where the weakness leads. Here's, here's his story. Next verse, actually. It's the next chapter, but it's also the next sentence. 
And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I didn't come to you with elegance or human wisdom, yeah, right? As proclaimed to you the testimony, but, but as instead I was proclaiming to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except that Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. I performed for the audience of one so that you would know that it had to be a God thing. I don't care about what you think about my public persuasive skills. Can you imagine putting what he put on his resume? Yeah, I'm going to show up with fear. Actually, I'm going to show up with great fear. Uh, I'm pretty weak. I got great fear of weakness, and I will be trembling. So there. He doesn't care, doesn't need our approval. And, and, and here's why. Because he doesn't want it to be about Paul. He doesn't want their conversion story to include him. He wants it, their conversion story to just include the power of God. He wants all their stories to be God's stories. All great stories are God's stories. And we bring our weakness, our dirtness, and he breathes on it, God's grace, and, and now we have a story to go with. Here, here's Paul fantasizing about uh, someone talking about maybe a revival or two that he went to, okay? Here's Paul eavesdropping, fly on the wall, listening to someone say how this, they became a follower of Jesus Christ. So, so I'm going to be that person, okay? So here, here I was. Uh, I, I listened to this guy that came into town. I can't remember his name. Um, Paul saw something. I don't know. Uh, the reason I don't remember is because the, he was a terrible public speaker. He was trembling. He was afraid. Somebody from the crowd, while he was teaching, literally screamed out, don't quit your day job, Paul. That's how bad he was. Anyway, he was kind of a one-trick pony. I went and saw him two or three times. All he ever talked about was Jesus Christ and him crucified. So anyway, I'm coming home from all of this and thinking, I hope I never see this guy again. He was so bad. And then, bam, I don't know what happened. But what he said, no matter how bad he said it, it took root in my life. And I realized Jesus Christ and him crucified, I was cut to the quick. I crucified Jesus Christ. It, were, it was my sin that put him there. And then I was kind of stopped in the middle of this traffic, and I was freaking out about what do I do with all of this sin, all this debt, all this shame. And then I remembered the rest of his talk. It wasn't a very good talk, but I remembered the part where he said, and I was raised with him according to his righteousness. And so, yeah, that's how I became a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a God story. It's not a Paul story. It's a God story. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Audience of one. It works, and it's true. It's absolutely true. It brings us to this place. I mean, if you could apply this to approval addiction, think about that. That's, a, that's, that's an itch we cannot scratch because this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so.
In the Older Testament, it says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It's a love story that is projected on the church and it's projected on you and I. Why wouldn't we just listen to that one voice? Why wouldn't we just live our lives for that one king? And so you come into work, and it looks like this. You come into work, whatever your, whatever your area of stress is, right? Whatever your area of stress is, you bring, you bring this. You say, I'm going to bring my dirt. You know, I'm going to bring my weakness, my great weakness, or my fear, my great fear, my weakness, and maybe a little bit of trembling. That's what I'm bringing to work today. But, right, I work unto the Lord. That's what it says in the Bible, like your boss is the Lord. And so you're going to work harder than you could ever work to anyone else. You're going to do due diligence. You're going to do the best you possibly can as unto the Lord. And you're going to say, this is my dirt, but it's God's dirt. And then, and then look, look how free you can be. Because, you know, audience of one comes with I don't care. So, so you have the best quarter ever, right? They're making plaques and putting your name on it and say best quarter ever. And inside your soul, you say this to the people you love, you can say it out loud right there in your ceremony. You know where you get your plaque? You can say, man, this is a God thing. I mean, I, you guys know how good a salesman I am. I'm not a good salesman. This was a God thing. This is a God story. Or everything tanks, right? But that's not on you either if you do work unto the Lord. And you're only, you're only looking into the stands and you just see only your beloved, only that empty cross, only that empty tomb. And, and the lights go out and you just go, that's okay. I can live with success and not get over to my head. I can live with failure and not be decimated by it. Because it works, but bigger than that, because it's true, because only God receives glory in that context. You can bring this into social situations, in a date, uh, whether you're out with friends or at a convention with coworkers, and it starts to get very uncomfortable, the conversation or what we're doing next. Why is it uncomfortable? Why is there stress even in this? I'll tell you why. Because our approval addiction needs another fix. And, and we want to be liked and we want to be approved. And so we might be going a little farther down a road than we should. And then we remember, okay, again, you look at the back of the bar where no one's there and you, that's, that's who I'm living for right there. You look in a classroom and you, you see an empty seat and that's where Jesus sits. Boardroom. That's where he is. I'm living for the audience of one because it's true. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And you just go, I don't care. You guys run off without me. I don't care. You guys do what you ever want to do. I don't care. I don't need to be part of this. I don't care. See the power of that? Because it's true. This week, I, I had this crazy fit of jealousy, just Ping. And I'm, because I'm working on this sermon, I'm thinking a lot about it. I said to myself, I said, shut up and sit down. And we're done. Because somebody in the crowd stood up and I didn't care. I didn't know. I don't listen to him anyway. I listened to him for too long. All the trouble it got me. You want to, hey, here's, here's extra credit. Application. You want to share that joy, that freedom? You can splash this on people that you love. This I don't care, living for the audience of one, you don't need to keep this to yourself. Watch how this can work. I've seen this work. Okay, you can see people in your life that are overcome with burdens 
and pressure, and they might be thinking you're kind of part of that in the context, I've seen this, in the context of provisions, okay? So somebody's providing for the family, you know, mom, dad, you know, or husband or wife, and I've seen one of those partners understand this audience, you know, of one and the glory of God only, and they've come to their mate, they've come to their, their father or mother, they've come to even sometimes because you're your aging parents, you can say to your children, you say these words, you say, I live for an audience of one. And I, and, and I don't need you. I don't need you to be, to be my provision. I don't need you to protect me. That's not where my hope is. And I want you, I want you to be released from this burden. I can see. I don't need this stuff. We can sell the house. We don't I'm living for an audience of one. My hope is in the Lord only. This will be a God story. So quit carrying something that doesn't belong to you. Mom or dad or husband or wife. That's you splashing the joy of audience of one, God to the glory only on someone else. You'll change a life. I swear you will change a life if you share that freedom. There is nothing like someone else releasing you like that. Just give it a try. Let it be a long conversation. Say it as many times as you have to, as many different ways as you have to, so they understand your hope is in only the Lord. One last piece of application today, okay? We're going to, I mean, this, this is true, and it works, and it works because it's true that we're dirt. We're God's dirt. We're just dust. But we've been breathed into, and God's grace has made us in his image. And I want for us to sing this, and we're going to sing this chorus probably more times than some of you like, but it'll be just enough for others to catch it. He makes beautiful things out of dust, and he's going to make beautiful things out of us. One of the things we learned in our Christmas at Grace time was sometimes getting our bodies into our uh, souls can sometimes help our souls get into our bodies. So if you would, would you do this? Would you, like, if you're sitting down, I want you to enjoy the worship as, as many ways as you can and as much as you can. Stay sitting if you want. Close your eyes. Last hour, I closed my eyes. It was just better for, easier for me. Put your palms up. Let your bodies help your soul. You come in empty-handed like we sang about before. Why don't you receive this truth that you're dust, but you're God's dust, and you are beautiful. And don't worry about other people. They might be judging you, that guy down the row. You know what you think about him? You don't care. So stand up or don't. Hold up your hands or don't. But receive this the power of what is true, that to God be the glory and only God be the glory. And that is who we live our lives. And that's who our audience is. Okay, let's try this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh, we are so grateful to be to have this cure of this addiction of approval to receive an infinite approval for an infinite habit that we keep trying to get fixed in the temporal. So, Lord Jesus, 
Let these words that we sing, that we hear, bathe our souls and convince our spirits of what is true. Not because we want it. It's way more than we could have hoped for, but because you have declared it. That you have stated quite clearly that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. That those who are in you are, have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now at peace with God. And so we don't care about anything but performing to you. Let us sing and enjoy this as though no one is watching but you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.